podcasting from the doing the most capital of the world. By way of New York, New York, via the internet. This is Bagels and Plantains, a podcast by, for, and showcasing every day, round the way, but always dope as fuck, multifaceted people of color doing the damn thing and doing it well. Every week, we and our guests will be sharing the blueprint and the stories that explore the intersectionality of being Black, Brown, bothered, and unbothered, while thriving and navigating their passions, spaces, and communities. I'm your host, Deidre E. Dehan. And I am your host, Christina Torres. And here we go. Today, we have a lovely, lovely guest with us. We have Emmy. Emmy is a chartered psychologist and founder of The Palme Code. Her passion is to help people embrace their true worth so they can live happy and fulfilling lives. Throughout her academic coaching and research career, she has worked closely with individuals and communities to unlock their full potential using simple and easy to apply methods, limitless success in life. And she's also a best-selling author of not one, not two, but three books, a part of the Psychology in Your Life book series. And today we're going to be touching on one of her titles and really fascinating subjects, and I think it's really hot right now, is the imposter syndrome remedy. Mm-hmm. So welcome, Emmy, to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Your background is very fascinating as well. So is your modern life. You're a mom. You're academic. You do coaching. You have your own, like, you have, I want to say, you are the queen of acronyms. I was reading your book, and me and Deidre have worked in corporate for a long time, and we know we love us some acronyms. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, her acronym game is on point, and we'll get to all of that. So, Emmy, walk us through your background, how you got down, the, how you went down the road of becoming a psychologist and a founder of your own kind of like method, and then we'll jump into what imposter syndrome is and isn't. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I'm actually originally from the Philippines. And psychology wasn't really my first choice as a career. I originally intended to be a a medical doctor. In fact, I actually got into med school when I was 15 years old. But my mom advised me not to go into med school at that age because she said I might be traumatized. (laughs) You know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be in med school at that time. So she said, why not take a pre-med course? You know, take psychology first. And if you still want to do medicine after you complete psychology, then you can go for it after that. So I followed her advice. I studied psychology as a bachelor's degree for four years. And guess what? I enjoyed it so much. I abandoned med school and I ended up pursuing postgraduate education in, in psychology instead. I flew to London to do my master's and also my PhD. I was offered a, a scholarship to do my PhD there. And 10 years, 20 years down the line, I'm still doing psychology. I've taught at university level teaching psychology. But at some point, I felt as if being confined in the university setting wasn't enough. You know, I'm speaking to university students. I'm writing papers for fellow academics. But I felt as if I wasn't really making enough impact and not really making the most of what I know 
from psychology. So that's why I ended up writing my three books, you know, in the Psychology in Your Life series, because I have this knowledge and information about psychology that people can actually apply into their day-to-day lives so they can improve their lives, you know, embrace their self-worth and, and flourish with confidence at work and in life. So that's how I started with my Psychology in Your Life series. People have reached out because they they wanted me to coach them. You know, as you said, all the acronyms, they, they are so excited, you know, when they read the, my books and we apply that. We apply we apply the techniques um taught in my books and and here we are today. Wow. So I feel like there's so much to unpack there. So you were going to go to medical school at 15. And thankfully your mom was like, you know what? Maybe you're not ready to to really be in that setting and environment. Cause if not, you would be an MD doing something else instead of really contributing to this amazing work. Yes, that's right. And I, I'm actually, I really feel blessed to be taking down this path. I still work with uh, medical professionals. In fact, a lot of medical professionals do experience imposter syndrome that even if they even if they are qualified, you know, highly skilled individuals, they still feel as if they're not good enough or that they they don't know what they are doing. Even if they've had like decades and decades of of, of training and, and experience, and they still feel as if they're just winging it. So, you know, it's it's something that I really feel passionate about. And, you know, if I can help more people just believe in what they can do and you know what what they can offer to other people, then then so be it. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. I was gonna say, because I usually chime in with inappropriate fun things. I was like, you could have been like the female Doogie Howser. Now I'm mad at your mom. <laughs> but this is so this is so awesome. And you touched on something that is really funny. And speak more about that. So I think it's really fascinating to know, especially medical profession, that this this goes across would you say this goes across imposter syndrome, goes across all professions and maybe even some life events too. I know as a mother, I get imposter syndrome. <laughs> All the time. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, 70% of us will experience imposter syndrome at some point in our lives. It spans across all sectors. And it's not just actually career, you know, in terms of your career. It could also span in your, like like you've said, you know, you feel as if you're just winging it as a mom. You know, this mom guilt, you know, it's, it's associated with this imposter syndrome, feeling as if you're not good enough. You're not well, who who gets qualified? How do you get qualified to be a mom? You know, so it's 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 that we we usually speak of imposter syndrome in the career business sense, but this could actually translate in in other aspects of your life. Wow, I'm wondering now who are the other thirty percent who don't experience imposter syndrome at some point in their life? Are they just narcissists? Are they crazy? Or are they just very rooted in who they are as people? Yes, I've actually met some of these 30%. Yeah, some of them can be quite arrogant. I don't know. However, some of them, they would say, I don't really feel as if I'm just winging it because they they understand that they've gone through training. They've, they've had the experience. They recognize that they, they grew in the process. So some of these people, they, yeah, it's, it's about acknowledging and appreciating what you've been through to get to where you are now. It's acknowledging that you can never be perfect, but it's it's a process of, of learning and growing. So it's not, yeah, some of them can be quite arrogant, but the others, 
they just recognize that, you know, I'm not perfect, but it's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm a fraud. It just means that I'm still learning and I'm growing and that's okay. Definitely awesome. And it's funny because I think when, not that I think, whenever I've heard imposter syndrome mentioned in the past, it's usually referred to diverse populations. So a lot of women, a lot of people of color overall, but just looking at your research, that's not really the case. And if 70% of all people suffer imposter syndrome, that means there is the straight white man who is at some point in his day, in his life, who is experiencing doubt about his own capabilities. Yes, absolutely. Yes, as I've, as I've mentioned earlier, it does span across you know, genders and different colors. But according to research for women in male-dominated industries and for people of color, especially in snowy peaked industries like all, all white at the top, they actually have a more heightened experience of imposter syndrome simply because of that feeling that you don't belong there. It's as if you have to wear this mask in order to fit in. So even if imposter syndrome actually, you know, is experienced by by 70% of the entire population. Yeah, people from diverse groups like like the, like the women and, and people of color, you have this extra layer, this heightened experience of imposter syndrome because of these structural issues that that we encounter in the environment. You know, that feeling that oh, you know I don't belong here because if I look at my surroundings, I'm the only woman in, in the room or I'm, I'm the only Asian in the room. So it's that feeling as if you don't belong. You have to pretend to be someone you feel that you're not. And yeah, of course, you will feel like a fraud because you're not being true to who you are. So it's just that, that extra complexity that, that we experience in terms of imposter syndrome. Yeah, that makes total sense. Let's take a step backwards. And let's define, so what is imposter syndrome and what isn't? So before I read the book, I was like, I don't have imposter syndrome. And then I read the book and I was like, ah, I'm a little hypochondriac. So I was like, I have imposter syndrome, right? And so let's explain, because I think also you touched on a a part in your book, like imposter syndrome is, is not faking it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Like make it really clear. And that's Mm -hmm. something that's, you know, with social media, with, you know, just all the platforms that people have now, which is great, you know, there's pros, but to elevate, you know, what they're doing, there is a sense of fake it till you make it. So mm-hmm. what's, what is imposter syndrome and what isn't imposter syndrome? Right. Yes. So imposter syndrome is not about being actual frauds. You know, that, that, you, you got it. You hit it in the nail. It's, it's not about faking it till you make it. It's this persistent feeling of self-doubt, incompetence, and inadequacy, despite evidence that shows otherwise. So you may be qualified, you may have years of experience in what you do, you may be fantastic and, and, and great at what you do, but you still feel as if you're not good enough. You, you still feel as if you don't deserve your possession or you don't deserve your accomplishments. So one of the common characteristics of imposter syndrome is this denial of competence. If you're doing something good or you're actually having fantastic results, you you cannot really claim that it is because of your experience or it is because of your training or it is because you are good at what you do. You basically say something like, ah, you know, I just got lucky 
or, you know, people are giving me compliments because they're being polite or, yeah, the stars just aligned or you might say, ah, you know, the, the, the task wasn't that difficult. If it was easy for me, then it's surely it must be easy for everyone. So it's that feeling that you're not really, you're not really unique. You're not really special. You're not that good as people make out, you know, you to be. So that's one characteristic of imposter syndrome. Another characteristic is this denial of competence. You, you seem to think that you're not actually good at what you do, even if everybody says that you are, even, even if the results actually show that you are good at what you do, but you, de- you tend to deny it, probably because of, let's say, you have maladaptive perfectionism. That's another thing. There's a difference between adaptive perfectionism and maladaptive perfectionism. For people who experience imposter syndrome, they tend to exhibit maladaptive perfectionist tendencies. You know, nothing ever seems good enough. If you are, if you have adaptive perfectionism, it's about striving for perfection. And that's actually quite good. You may acknowledge that you make mistakes. You know, you haven't reached perfection yet. But it's okay. It's something that we could learn from and, and aspire to, to achieve. But if you have maladaptive perfectionism as people with imposter syndrome tend to exhibit, even if you are doing well, or even if you have great results, you can't seem to acknowledge it. You can't appreciate it. And as a result, you're not able to fully embrace job satisfaction. You're not completely happy with what you do because you have these unreasonably high expectations of yourself and this unreasonably low assessment of of what you've accomplished. So there's this gap between what you are striving to achieve and what you think you are actually accomplishing. And for people with imposter syndrome, they just live in in fear as well because they are scared that eventually people are going to find out that they are incompetent. You know, they are always on their toes thinking that, oh, you know, I might make a mistake and people are going to find out that, that I'm just faking it. And as a result, many of them would burn themselves out. They were they will work extremely hard because they would think, ah, you know, if I work many hours, if I work really hard, if I overstretch myself, then I could show that I can do this. But it's not that I'm good. It's just because I'm stretching it, if that makes any sense. That makes total sense. And that's when I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> you tend to overwork till you get burned yeah, out. I tend to like... I tend to tie my self-worth with productivity. Mm. And so, you know, there's some rush I get, like even if my work is not exalted sometimes and what happens a lot, and it's maybe, I don't know if it's just American culture or it's just across the board, but it's like, oh, you are able to do that and do all of that? Yeah, this is great. As opposed to just it being you did like you did that one thing and it was done very well. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like that's sometimes not enough for me. It's like doing that one thing well, but also doing the 50 things that I had to get, that I felt I needed to get done as well. And then it makes me not enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just because it's like- Because you're worn out. Yeah. You're overstretching <laughs> yourself. Maybe that's one of your inner critics. It's this, I have to stretch myself so much to prove that I'm worthy. Is, is that what you're thinking? Yeah, and I don't, I think that's just, 
it's not so much that it was fed to me directly. It's just like what I've seen, like what I've seen of women in whatever women I've worked closely with who were in those higher positions. That's what I saw them doing. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what maybe I saw, you know, when you just like watch movies and like culture, whenever you see like a woman who's at the top of her game, like Mm -hmm. the devil wears Prada. She did like 50 million things and her family went to the wayside, but she was exalted. Like she, I mean, they obviously showed that she was miserable behind the scenes, Mm. but she had to show that like, you know, being that productive and being that amazing is what fueled her and made her happy. So you're fed all these like messages. Yes. And yes, since you've read the book, you, you will notice that we have all these inner critic messages that feed imposter syndrome. You know, all these feelings that I have to... I have to excel, I have to do so much, but I'm still not good enough, that I'm still not qualified enough, people are going to find out. These are all messages that we have inside our heads. And and in the book, I actually call them inner critics. Now, a lot of self-help gurus will encourage you to to crush your inner critic, you know, to banish it, to ignore it and, and stuff like that. But I would say something different, actually, because the inner critic, whether you like it or not, is still part of who you are. It is inside your head. And if you try to fight it, you'll end up having a battle with yourself. So instead of having a fight with your inner critic, what I would encourage you to do is to actually explore it, you know, listen to your inner critic without necessarily having to follow it. You need to have that dialogue. You need to have that conversation with your inner critic and give it a bit of TLC. Now, here here we go with our acronyms now. The TLC technique, you know, it's not about giving your inner critic tender loving care, but it's about acknowledging that it exists and asking three essential questions. You ask, is it true? Is it logical? Is it constructive? Because more often than not, you will realize that all these inner critic messages are based on false beliefs, illogical reasoning, and destructive beliefs. So you need to give it a bit of TLC and ask, is it true? Is it logical? Is it constructive? I mean, those are great tips. I think that once you are in a sense where you can recognize that, oh, maybe I'm trying to insert self-doubt and I'm suffering from imposter syndrome, then those three things can kind of kind of help snap you out of it. Like, is this something that, you know, I have I done this before or have I shown myself capable of doing this? You know, is this a constructive thought? It's something that's going to motivate me or something that's going to prevent me from achieving or reaching to the goal that I want. And I think those are things that people can easily hold on to and quickly check themselves and redirect the thoughts that they're having. Yes, absolutely. So if I can just give an example. So one common imposter syndrome belief is that I'm not good enough to do this. So you might say, you might ask, is it true? Sometimes it might not be true when you say I'm not good enough to do this. If you check your experience, if you check your qualifications, you might find relevant experience and you know relevant qualifications that, that will make you the best person to do that particular task. However, let me just say that sometimes you have to listen to your inner critic because sometimes it's true. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be in denial. That's why I say faking it till you make it doesn't necessarily work. Because if you're saying, I'm not good enough to do this, 
it might be true because maybe you you don't have the experience or the expertise yet to do that. However, just because it is not true right now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it at all. That's why you have the second question. Just, you know, is it logical? Just because you aren't good at this now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be good at it forever. It's only a matter of time and practice and you gain more experience and eventually that statement will be different. So even if it is true that you're not good enough at this yet, if even if it is true that you don't have enough experience yet, the second question will tell you that is it logical, you know, just because you aren't good at it now, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it at all. And just because you aren't good at it now, it doesn't mean that it's going to be like this forever. All you need to do is to do it, practice, gain experience, and then you will become fantastic at it. So that actually leads into the third question, is it constructive? What can you do to to make it constructive? If you're not good at it now, what steps can you take to change that narrative. So, you know, it, it all ties together. But yeah, you always have to start with the truth and anchor yourself in the truth. Yeah, what was really helpful in the book, which I really liked, and maybe other books that a personal development do it too, but I like the, the prompts. Like there's an inner critic alert, there's a write it down, there's have a go, which is like practicing it, and then talk to your buddy. You mentioned, and I think a lot of this has to do with you know, I think there's an acronym for it too, but <laughs> we're completing these successfully, right? Like having a mentor or someone someone who you could be accountable to, writing things down, like as you feel them, like seeing how it shows up in your body too. I know for me, when I get anxiety about something or I'm just doing something to a point where, you know, that maladaptive perfectionist comes perfectionism comes through and I, I can feel in my body that it's time mm. to let it go because my jaw tenses up, my shoulders feel like really achy. And it's like, it's, that's it. Like, this is just going to keep me in pain, like actually mm. physically to keep going with this. Then to just be like, you know, pencils down. So what let's, let's talk about, and maybe, maybe I'm getting the acronym wrong, but mm. what are, what are like the four things we need to do now that we've assessed, you know, we've done the self-talk what are some other things? I remember I, you talked about, you know, a gratitude journal. Mm. We talked about some other things about, you know, just kind of like not totally throwing out some of those signals, but like you said, at least getting rid of that piece that's not making a productive, a productive cycle of, of you know, just a self-check-in. Yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah, you have the TLC questioning sequence. One of the things that I recommend people to do is... You've mentioned, you know, to get a mentor, to get a coach. The acronym that I used in the book is actually COACH, which is Commitment, Accountability, and Cherishing the Moment. So when when you realize that something needs to change, you need to make a conscious decision and commitment to make that change. Because if you just say, oh, you know, I hope things will change and I'm going to do things differently... Hoping is not the same as I will. (laughs) And so the first step really is to make a conscious decision and commitment to change. And one way to establish that commitment is to make yourself accountable to to that change. When you make a commitment, you don't just say to yourself, you can if you're so self-disciplined, 
but you have a better chance of sticking with that commitment if you have someone who can keep an eye on you and someone who could encourage you and motivate you if you experience blocks in your way. So that's actually one of the reasons why, you know, some people... They have New Year's resolutions and they they fall off the wagon after 10 days. It's because they haven't made that conscious commitment and accountability to stick to that commitment. So if you want change and if you want to change your thoughts, you know, and change your behavior, start with a conscious decision and commitment to make that change. Find yourself an accountability buddy, whether it's your mentor, your partner, your best friend, Or even if you just join communities on Facebook, you know, make your commitment public and and ask the members there to hold you accountable to that commitment. That will help you to stick to it and and, and pursue that change that that you're trying to go for. So commitment, accountability, and the CH actually stands for cherishing the moment. So it's about acknowledging all the little wins that you are getting all these little changes because, you know, people say, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's, you know, it's this little changes and and you build up to these changes and acknowledging, you know, the benefits that you're reaping and, and how that's also affecting people around you. You know, how are you serving others better because you're making this change? So, yeah, so that's it. Make that conscious decision and commitment to change. Get yourself uh, an accountability buddy, you know, make yourself accountable and remember to cherish those moments, you know, gratitude, show gratitude, appreciation, you know, celebrate your little wins. And the more you acknowledge all the positive things that's going on around you and and appreciate and showing gratitude for that, the more it will expand because you you'll recognize it more and more. And, you know, things will become more positive in that way. Oh, that's amazing. And I, I believe that oftentimes when you're in this cycle, it can often be hard to step back mm. and notice that you're in the cycle. What are some key things that you can do outside of the, you know, the TLC or even before you get to the TLC acronym to recognize that this isn't, you know, the devil on your shoulder saying that mm. you can't do something. This is actually you experiencing imposter syndrome and trying to talk yourself out of something that you might be a completely good fit for. Right. So how to get out of the cycle before you even notice it. That's a tricky one. For people with imposter syndrome, they actually don't even notice simply because the the message that they are imposters is so ingrained that they couldn't really see how else it could be different. So that's why it is important actually to, as Christina mentioned, you know, to listen to your body, you know, be aware of, of the signs and symptoms if, you know, when you're feeling anxious or stressed about a particular task because you are doubting yourself. Listen to, to what your gut tells you. Listen to how your body responds to, to what's going on with you at work or in life and, 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 and you know, as a result of you being doubtful and fearful about a, a particular task. But at the same time, you know, because you're so ingrained in that in that inner critic message, you know, before because you're so ingrained in that culture as well, it's really important to have that supportive network, you know, to have that buddy with you. That's why, you know, mentoring and coaching is really important because there are certain things that that hurt us that we don't even notice. 
you know, having that that support network, that, that structure. That's why, you know, we, we talk about this supportive environment that's really important because usually it's not just our inner critic. You know, there are external critics and external barriers as well that that it would be so difficult for mere individuals changing their thoughts could change, if that makes any sense. So yeah, the structure, the environment, having a supportive network and people are really important to really prevent imposter syndrome on a much wider scale. Yeah, that's really, it's so hard to make any change. And maybe we can speak to that. Why is it so hard for us to reach out to a kid? I know for me to ask anyone for help, let alone accountability, there's something about and I don't want to say it's a, I think it's a, it, there's a lot of people who do it, but there's something about women, women of color, people who of color, we just have a really hard time expressing that we're having those issues, mm. but also, you know, just asking for help or accountability. I don't, you know, I, I've done a lot of, and maybe that needs to be changed, like the whole personal development, because it, you're not, you're not, you're not like personally living in this vacuum, mm. right? So you have to you have to lean on people and and have those people lean on you. So why is it so important that we have accountability and or and or a mentor and how do we get out of our own head with that? I think you touched mm-hmm. about that in the book. Like most people with imposter syndrome Would are very likely not to ask anybody for help. Yeah, uh, here's a confession. I have a confession to make. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yes. I talk about imposter syndrome and I talk about reaching out for help. You know, I talk about PAME. You know, PAME is a Greek word. It means let's go together. You know, it's all about sharing your journey, having someone to accompany you, to support you and, and so on. But to be perfectly honest, I'm not very good at, whatchamacallit, I'm not very good at reaching out for help. Because of my imposter syndrome, I want to show that I'm good and, and asking for help is a sign of weakness. Well, actually, it's not. You know, asking for help is is a sign of humility and acknowledgement that that you are not perfect, and it's okay. It's actually okay. But it's let's let's just say that it's it's a habit that I want to change by being aware of of how you currently are. And we're going back again to that coach. You know, commitment, accountability, and cherishing the moments. These are old habits that are hard to break. Asking for help is not easy for for some people because we we have this inner critic message as well that asking for help is a sign of weakness. But we can change that. But it's about becoming aware that you are that you hold that habit and also making a conscious decision to actually seek help when you need it. I'm still not really good at it at the moment. I'm still struggling to ask for help when I need it. But I do have a really good circle of friends who who will notice, you know, they 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 do keep an eye on me and and check on me to ask, wait, are you all right? Are, are you sure? Are you sure you can you're managing on your own? Because we're just here to help you. So just having that, you know, those people backing you up, even if you're not asking for help, encouraging you to say, look. If you need help, we're just here. Just ask. So someone to poke you, <laughs> to prompt you to ask for help if you need it. But 
if you ask me personally, it's still something that I'm I'm working on. I'm still working on how to reach out to people and, and how to ask for help because it's okay to help. It's okay to ask for help if you actually do need it. Thank you so much for not only admitting to it, but also just giving the examples of someone who helps someone else to overcome their own imposter syndrome at times often can suffer from imposter syndrome. I know mm-hmm. I, it's something I battle with regularly, not only in my career life, but in my personal life, even with starting the podcast, Christine and I went back and forth about, you know, what should our, our voice mm-hmm. be? What should our tone be? Who should we have on? Should we even be doing this? Will anybody listen? Like, I think that it's one of those things that when you see people actually take the leap and jump and do the things that they said they would, you might not think that they have doubts and have had any kind of hindrances to even getting to that point. So so thank you very much for saying that you can not only help someone with their own imposter syndrome, but also you can suffer imposter syndrome. And it's not something that is uncommon, but mm-hmm. that I know specifically as people of color, because I see a lot of white leaders who will openly ask for help, male or female. I'll see a lot of people who are very senior who don't have that issue of knowing their weaknesses and knowing their strengths. And if they have a weakness, making sure that they have someone who can account for those weaknesses. However, I feel like a lot of us who are maybe not at the place that we want to be or that we see ourselves as, we struggle with either sharing that we Mm. have doubts or even recognizing that we don't have to get to the end point by ourselves. In fact, no one really gets to the end point by themselves. Absolutely. And it's actually also important to remember that imposter syndrome, you know, all these feelings of self-doubt will always be there. And it's not such a bad thing because it keeps you on your toes. It, It keeps you, it reminds you that you're not perfect. You have to pause from time to time, especially if you are starting something new you know, something quite risky, that's actually your instinct's way of telling you, look, you know, there are risks involved. You have to pause a little bit, assess if you're actually capable of doing this, assess your abilities, assess the consequences of your actions, assess the risks. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't do it. It just means that you have to recalibrate, you know, reassess before you actually take the leap, so to speak, because it will allow you to assess your abilities, the consequences, and you can make an informed decision of what you need to do next. Doesn't necessarily mean that it should stop you. You know, you can use your self-doubt. You can use fear. You know, all these feelings of, oh, you know, I'm not so sure about it. That's okay. You know, it's okay not to be sure all the time, but it just encourages you to, to think about it. You know, assess what you can and can't do assess the consequences, assess the risks, so you can make an informed decision on what you need to do next. And that's that's the thing, you know. That's why I called my book Imposter Syndrome Remedy and not Imposter Syndrome Cure because you can only remedy it. You can't really cure it because it will always, like, like a cold, <laughs> you know, you can, it, it will come back, you know, when, when the season hits, you know, you have a new project, you, you'll feel some self-doubt, you know, you have a, a new task, you know, you, you feel scared about it. But what you need to do is just to be aware of it, recognize what you need to do with it, and, and have these strategies and support in place so you can manage it as effectively as you can. One really great way this is my favorite 
acronym because it's really easy to remember when you're in the moment. And it's you having these conversations with yourself, which I love because I love talking to myself. Um, but <laughs> I'm an only child. I did it a lot. But you talk about turning pit questions into mm-hmm. pet. Can you walk us down like what that looks like? Maybe an example, what that means, because I'm sure people are like, what is she talking about? But what's pit and what's pet? And how do we use that to help us get out of those tricky, sticky situations? Ah, yes. These are, yeah, these are uh, applied psychology stuff. Pits are performance interfering thoughts. Basically what we talked about, you know, all these inner critic messages. And pets are performance enhancing thoughts. You know, how you could reframe the thoughts that are interfering in your performance and how you could reframe it into something that would enhance your performance. So, one of the techniques that, that we talked about, the TLC technique, that's actually one way that you can convert your pit, you know, performance interfering thought into a pet, which is the performance enhancing thought. So, for example, you are thinking, you know, I'm not good at what I do because that other girl, she's doing so much better than me. She, her, let's say, you know, you're, you're doing social media stuff. Oh, you know, she has like 100,000 followers and I only have 400, you know, I'm, I'm not doing very well. That's a performance interfering thought because you are feeling sorry about yourself and, and you're not necessarily doing anything about it. So when you apply the TLC technique there, if, if you're thinking, oh, you know, I'm not good because I, I only have 400 followers and that other girl has like 100,000 followers, is it true? Well, actually, yes, it's true. You can see the numbers. <laughs> you can see the numbers that she's, she actually has 100,000 and you only have 400, but it's okay. Follow the next step. You know, is it logical? Just because she has 100,000 followers and you only have 400, does it mean that you can't get to where she is? You know, just because you are at 400 now, does it mean that there's no area for improvement? Does it mean that you can get stuck at 400, right? And the next step is ask, is it constructive? You know, if that girl has 100,000 followers, what can you learn from her? You know, instead of feeling sorry about yourself that she has 100,000 and you only have 400, you could ask, what can I learn from her? Instead of trying to compete and feel sorry for yourself because someone is doing so much better than you, Instead of looking at it from that perspective, you can turn it around, make it something more constructive and say, okay, she's doing really well. What can I learn? And what other steps can I take to make, you know, to grow my followers? So it's really just that, you know, so it's about transforming your performance interfering thoughts, you know, your inner critic messages. You can use the TLC technique, which is what we talked about today, and convert it into a performance enhancing thought and it becomes a pet. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I would say another question, maybe a constructive thing is like, is her followers even a contributing factor to her success? Mm-hmm. You know, right? Like th- does followers really technically, if you think about it, you know, is followers has anything to do with your ability? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, you know, just because she has a hundred thousand followers doesn't necessarily make you less qualified or you know actually it's it's about taking the spotlight away from feeling jealous as well you know you, you focus on 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 how you can improve and and 
and focus on actually the, the, the other technique that I might share with you today is, is called the flashlight technique. So actually the flashlight technique encourage you, encourages you to imagine that you're holding a flashlight and the flashlight can only shine the light at one spot at a time, right? So you can either flash the light on, on other people, you know, the, your competitors or whatever and feel sorry for yourself. Or you can shine the light onto yourself and you can only see self-doubt and incompetence and, and have a pity party in that way. Or what you can do is actually shine the light to the people you're aiming to serve. You know, focus your attention on, on your audience needs. What do they need right now? What are their goals? What are their problems? What are their aspirations? And when you shine the light out to the people you're aiming to serve, then even if you're feeling doubtful about yourself, you can, you know, you'll do whatever it takes to, to help them because you can see that, that they need help or you can see that you can help them to achieve their goals and aspirations. So instead of trying to compare yourself to others or instead of trying just to focus on your, on your self-doubt and your feelings of incompetence, shine the light out and shine the light to the people you're aiming to serve. Because when you, when you try to focus on serving those people, you will do whatever it takes to help them, even if you're feeling doubtful about yourself. I really, I really like that because it takes it off, it takes the pressure off of you and onto your true mission or what you're actually trying to achieve, which can make a, a huge difference. Yes, absolutely. That's it. All right. So you've shared with us so many gems, Emmy. We definitely want to get to know a little bit more about you as Emmy. So we are bagels and plantains. And so we want to ask if you could be a food, what would that food be? <laughs> if I could be a food, I've never thought about that. Maybe I would be an onion. <laughs> oh, tell us so, more. Oh, I so, like that. So many layers, that's all. Ah, it, I like that. It, 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 could, it could add spice to your life, but if you just bite it raw, well, some people like it, some people don't, but it, it's, it's down to your taste really. But yeah, I would say an onion because you know, I do have so many layers and, and you know, I can add a, a bit of flavor, a little bit of kick in, you know, in your life if, if, if that's what you need. Oh, I love that. That um, was where, a good one. It, it really was. Something very different. I loved it. So when you're not writing and coaching, what are you doing? Oh, I, you usually find me singing Let It Go and watching Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> so I you must a be a true mom. Yep. I have a four-year-old son. It's like I've seen that movie like a million times. Like he'll come back from nursery get the DVD, put it there, and just, oh, no, not again, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's like you're four. What are you unwinding from? And they're like, I need, I need to plug back in. <laughs> like, oh, I'm home. Oh, put on some Frozen, you know, and sing Let It Go, and that's it. <laughs> oh, that's it. funny. And then finally, what is your, where is your favorite place to be creative? Favorite place to be creative. To tell you the truth, I, I'm I'm most creative when I'm walking, uh, I'm walking with my husband and my son in nature. Like we we love going in in forests and and in gardens, and I get sparks of creativity just to be out in the open. You know, going for a walk, having that fresh air, and actually holding my husband on one hand and my son on the other. You know, I I just feel like a positive flow of 
love and and energy when when we do that and and that actually gets my creative juices going oh i love that that's a good one yeah you have so many let's get to all the places we can find you i think we brushed upon it really quickly but tell us a little bit more about the palme code and palmecode.com Oh, yes, yes. Well, that's actually the, the essence of, of what I do. Pame, as I've mentioned, it's it's a Greek word that means let's go together. It's inspired by my husband because he always says, Pame, Pame. <laughs> he always says, let's go, let's go, come on, let's go. But it, it's basically a reminder that in life we can go together. And yeah, as I've confessed today, you know, I still struggle with that. That's why I, I, I try to always remind myself that I, in this journey, I don't have to be alone. You know, I can go, you know, we can go together and we can share our journeys together. But I also borrowed PAME as a word, used it again as an acronym (laughs) to refer to purpose, action, momentum, and energy. So it's just a reminder that in life, we have to be conscious of our purpose, you know, ground ourselves in our purpose. But we also have to accompany that with action because if we just have intentions, that's actually that's meaningless. You need to couple it with action. And action means consistent action to keep up the momentum, but don't burn yourself out in the process. Always uplift yourself with positive energy, you know, gratitude and, you know, sharing your journey together. Energy, you know, that will that will power you through. So Pame, yes, it's let's go together, but it's a reminder to ground yourself in your purpose, couple that with action keep it consistent action to maintain the momentum and keep the positive energy up to avoid being burned out. Awesome. I love your acronyms. So (laughs) everyone can find her acronyms. So Emmy provides all that. We will have all, you can, she's on Instagram at Emmy underscore Estacio. I'll also put that in the show notes. You're on YouTube, you're on LinkedIn. I mean, if there's any doubt you can or cannot find her, it is here. Any last yeah, actually, piece? If, if you just Google Emmy Estasha, I think I'm the only Emmy right? Her SEO game is on point. You will find her. <laughs> any last any last tips or any last like advice you want to offer our listeners? Parting thoughts, if you want. Any parting, parting thoughts. thoughts. Yeah. Yes, well, if you are experiencing imposter syndrome, if you are doubting yourself, don't worry, you're not the only one. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, there's so many of us who feel this way. And just because you're feeling as if you are a fraud and just because you're feeling as if you're not good enough, you don't have to go through this journey on your own. Do reach out. Give your inner critic a little bit of TLC. But yes, the important thing is reach out because you need that support to get you out of that of that headspace and, and, and help you to have a, a more constructive way of, of framing these inner critic messages. Thank you for tuning in to Bagels and Plantains with your girls Deidre and Christina. If you like the flavor we're kicking in your ear and want to know more about upcoming guests, follow us on the gram at Bagels and Plantains. If you want to show us even more love, then don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or drop a little of that coin into the support bucket at our Patreon link below in our show notes so we can keep bringing you the latest and the greatest. Thank you again for tuning in.